highest that the doctor has ever seen. A month later, she got a notice to go get scans for breast cancer. Well, I'm here to testify that there were no traces of breast cancer within her and her blood pressure has decreased. She is doing better as days go by. I actually have a verse I'd like to share with you all. It is Psalms 103, verses 2 through 5. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That blesses me. And like... I'd like for all of you to come together and just, let's just worship God and praise him and give him all that is due to him. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you in thanksgiving and praise. You are so deserving and so worthy, my God. We thank you for the life that you have filled us with, Lord, and the blessings you have brought. We pray, my God, that you may bless this time of worship and this service, my God, that you open hearts for change and transformation and a loving fire to come through by your Holy Spirit, Lord. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, let's just raise our hands this morning before the Lord. This song talks about holding nothing back. And this morning, church, we don't want to hold anything back from the Lord. We want to enter into his courts with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Come on, let's get ready to worship our God. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Can you just lift up your voice this morning and say, God, you're worthy. You're worthy of praise. We're not going to hold anything back, oh God. We're going to give you our best this morning. Because you are good all the time. All the time you are good, Jesus. We worship you. Hallelujah.
You washed my sin. You washed my sin and shame away. My slate is clean, a brand new day. Free now forever. Now I boldly approach your throne. To claim this crown through Christ my own. Yours now forever. Come on, sing it out, nothing. Nothing's gonna hold me. you Jesus we're free because of you Lord we're free in your presence we're free to dance we're free to sing we're free to lift up our voice and praise we're free this morning come on sing this with us I'm free to live I'm free to live I'm free to give I'm free to be I'm free to love you free to live I'm free to give I'm free to be I'm free to love Free to live, free to get, free to be, I'm free to love you, Lord. My chains fell off, my heart was free. Jesus, I'm alive, I'm alive to live for you. I'm alive to live for you. What amazing love, say, amazing love, how can it Yeah. 
took the name of Jesus. You're our everything, Lord. You are everything this morning, Jesus. We're free in your presence. Free in your presence. Hallelujah, Jesus. We're free in you, God. Come on, I sense such an awesome freedom of the Lord in this room. Come on, there's freedom in his presence. Come on, this morning he is beckoning us to come and take off the mask. Come on. He's beckoning us to come to take off our shoes and enter into the holy place. Jesus is here, church. Hallelujah. Come on, right where you're at right now, it's just tell him, Lord. I'm putting you at the forefront of my mind. I'm putting you at the forefront of my thoughts right now, God. I'm putting you first right now in this place. I want you to be the center of my life, God. I want you to be my everything. Jesus, Jesus, you're calling us this morning. Nothing, nothing else matters. 
you believe that this morning that Jesus is the center of our lives, the center of it all? Come on, can you sing this? Jesus, the center of my life. Say, Jesus at the center of my life. Come on, declare that. Jesus. Jesus at the center of my life.
your heart to Jesus right now. Come on, pour out your heart to Jesus right now. Between you and him, pour your heart out to him. For he cares for you. You are the sheep of his pasture and he cares for you. He cares about every sparrow that falls to the ground. He knows about it. He cares for you this morning. He cares about the weights on your heart. He cares about the struggles of your life. He cares about the tears that you cry. He cares for you. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are his beloved. Pour out your heart to him. Welcome you, Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit, we open up this time for you to speak to us, God. Have your way in this place, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We receive that word today, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. We have room for one more word. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We will abide in you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We will abide in you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you. Hallelujah. We worship you, God. You're holy, Lord. If that word was for you, just declare to the Lord today that you are his. You are his. Say, I am yours, God. I am yours, hallelujah, yes, Jesus. Let's sing that one more time. My heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you, yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the about you, yes, it's all about you, from 
Let's give him a shout of praise in this place. Hallelujah. Yes. Yes, Jesus. Hallelujah. Welcome to Metro Praise International, everybody. Welcome to the presence of the Lord. You all may find your seats in the house of God today. Wow. His presence is amazing. Woo. Sometimes it's hard to leave, right? You're just like, no, Lord, but I want to stay. I want to remain, Lord, forever. Take me now to heaven, Jesus. <laughs> well, welcome to Metro Praise International Church. My name is Vanessa Vitali. I'm a pastor here. My husband and I lead the Encounter Night Life Group every Sunday here at the church, 5 p.m. You're welcome to join us. But right now, I want to preach the gospel to you all. I want to give you all the chance to know the love of Jesus. For you never know who's walking through these doors and needs to know. I remember there was times in, in my walk with God, and I mean, I would know what I had to do that was right. You know, I, I knew what was right and wrong. Yet I always found myself stumbling, making mistakes, you know, slipping up in, in, in a sin that I would be struggling with at the time, whether it be cursing or lust or whatever that I was dealing with. And I remember God would be there and I would feel his love, you know, like I would feel his love, but I would be like, no, God, you know, I'm, I've, you know, you're far from me. Even though God was there, I would feel far from God. And I remember one time somebody once told me and taught me, well, you know, God's holy and he has no sin in him. So when you sin, you build a wall between you and God. And I want to show you an example of this in his word. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, talking about Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now, the area in the Bible where Jesus is actually crying out as he's dying, is you can find that in Mark chapter 15, verses 33 to 39. You can write that down, look at it later. Mark 15, 33 to 39. But it's where Jesus is crying out as he's on that cross, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you're thinking, how can Jesus be forsaken? He's, he's Lord, no? How, how, how did he feel like God left him? But what we see here in 1 Peter 2.24 is that he took that sin that would usually separate us from God, and he bore it on himself. That's what it says right here. And that's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because for your sake, he took that sin, he took your sin that separates you from God and he took it on himself and felt that separation for you so that you wouldn't have to. He took that sin upon himself so that you can come to the Lord. You just need a call on Jesus. That word bore there in the Greek is anaphero. And it means to carry or bring up, to lead men to a higher place. So he bore your sins 
so that you can come to the Father in a higher place. Today, if you do not know Jesus, you can come to him and say, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I want to follow you. And he will take your sin. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Take my sin. He'll take it from you. And he'll bring you to a relationship with the Father. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father God, we just pray for every person in this room, God. I don't know every person's situation, but you do, God. And I just pray that if there's anyone in this place who has that wall of sin blocking their relationship with you, that today, Lord Jesus, they would let you take that sin. That today they would say, Lord, have it. Have my old life. Have my old ways. Have this sin that I keep falling into. God, have it. Jesus, take it. And I pray they would let you take it right now, right now, right now. In the mighty name of Jesus. And I claim your freeing salvation over their life. That they could live in victory, Lord. That they can be healed and restored in every way. Not just from sin, but from sickness, from sorrows, Lord. From all the things that would weigh them down right now in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. If that was you, you know that you felt the Holy Spirit tapping at, at your heart. You felt the Holy Spirit knocking at your heart. I want you to know that Pastors Adam and Christina are standing right there. And when we have the, our video, our fellowship video, when everyone's shaking hands and hanging out, when that's on, you could go to them and you could talk to them about receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior and what you can do starting from today and onward. And you could talk to them about getting plugged in in the one-on-one -on -one so that you can be mentored in the things of God. Amen. If everyone would stand up to your feet with me. Our church has a confession of faith that demonstrates our worldview, our Christian worldview as a church. And we like to recite this together as a body in unity. Um, and as you all are standing, before I could recite this, I would like to dismiss the children. If there's any children in the sanctuary, you are now dismissed. You could head towards the sound booth. Amen. <laughs> and now I would like to recite this on the count of three. One two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming in Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone, amen. Woo, go greet your neighbor, shake a hand that you've never shaked before. Meet a new face, give hugs.
seats. Good morning, everyone. Please find your seat. Good to have you guys here. Are you guys excited for church this morning? It is exciting to be in the house of God, isn't it? I want to welcome all of our first-time visitors. Thank you so much for being here with us. If you are a first-time visitor, please raise your hand, and one of our ushers would like to bring you a brochure to get you some nice information about who we are. Here at MPI, we have two services. Everybody say, two services. Sundays at 10 a.m. is our family service. Fridays at 7 p.m. is our Elevate Youth Service. Elevate, make some noise. Amen. Good to have you here. Our vision here at MPI is to love God and love people. The two greatest commands. How do we love God? By obeying his commands, right? Obeying what he says and worshiping him. And how do we love people? By sharing the gospel with them and meeting their needs. Amen? Everything that we do here flows out of that vision. Love God, love people. So that's what we focus on. And we have a discipleship strategy of connect, mentor, and send. All right? Connect, mentor, send. So we want to connect you. We want to make sure that you are connected to Jesus Christ, that he is your savior. And then we want to see you get connected to our life group. Somebody say life group. Life group are different meetings that are taking place throughout the month. Disciples gathering together, sharing life. And if you look on the back of your announcements, you're going to see a complete list of every single one of them. And you can also check us out on the website and Facebook. We're all over the place. So we want you guys connected here at MPI through our life groups. So here's what's going on this week. Tonight we have Encounter Prayer Night. It's a time of soaking in God's presence. And that's tonight at 5 p.m. We also provide childcare. Wednesdays we have our King's Kids Ministry, our life group. It is amazing what we're doing with the children, raising them up just teaching them how to love God. And parents, you can drop off or you can stay with them on a Wednesday night. And then Friday night, it's at my house, adult Bible study. Yeah. Come by for word, worship, fellowship, outreaches into the community. We're having a great time. We also have childcare. Then Saturday, Elevate Hang Time, movie at the Metro. Come on, Elevate. It's at 12 p.m. here at the church. And then Saturday night, Evangelism, it's at 5 p.m. Okay, guys? This ministry is doing great things throughout the city of Chicago, bringing the gospel all through to lost souls. So come on. You guys can get excited about that. Get excited about everything that's going on. Amen? And then so what we do after you get connected, we want you guys to get mentored. Mentored through the 101. This you do with one of the, the leaders here at the church, either with an elder or a deacon, and you meet at any time that is, that's good for you. And let me tell you, through this book, yeah, you go through the Bible, you learn the fundamentals, you learn what it means to be saved, and you, you just gain a great relationship with another leader where you can be accountable. And let me tell you, I've gone through some things, and it's amazing to know that you have someone that you can come to pray with you, be open and transparent about. Amen? And so that's the 101. And then once you graduate this, you go into the 201, with Pastor Jared Sundays at 8 o'clock in the morning because God wants you to be a disciple that makes disciples, all right? And then you, the third part of our strategy is to be sent out. Come on, do it with me. Sent out into the world, to anywhere in the world. You can go anywhere into your workplace, in your homes, at the mall, anywhere. Sent out because God has a purpose for you. And we have a goal of 100,000 disciples here in the city of Chicago. Come on. Get excited. We have 50 churches here and 500 all around the world. If you believe God can do it, say amen. All right. Now it's time to prepare to give our tithes and offerings. 
If you guys could please, as you do that, turn with me in your Bible to Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. As I told you last week, we are starting these lessons on tithes and offerings. And today's lesson is called, The Tithe Was Revealed Before the Law of Moses to Abraham. The tithe, it's 10% of your total income that belongs to the Lord. Anything that you give after that becomes your offering. So anything else, and that amount is between you and the Lord. Here, you decide where that offering goes. Okay, you can either decide it's going to go to the building fund or it's going to go to missions. And this year, we're taking up, we're doing a campaign for $20,000 because we're taking a missions trip to the Philippines. Come on, that's exciting. Yes. We're going to be evangelizing, working with different pastors, outreaching, relief work, and God is definitely going to do it. So we're believing God for $20,000 to come forth to pay for that trip. So if you're with me in Genesis 14, 18, it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God, by God most high, creator of heaven and the earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So what are the main points? What can we learn from this? It says, the tithe is a spiritual principle, not just a law. Before God gave the law, the tithe to Moses, the principle was known spiritually by God's people because Abram's interaction with Melchizedek. So we see before God ever made it a law, it was already established, and we can see that through Abraham's lives, life. Number two, spiritual principles never change. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, spiritual principles like tithing remain the same throughout all stages of time. Amen? So let's summarize this. Since the tithe was introduced before the law of Moses, it remains after the old covenant and into the new covenant. So we still live by this principle. Let's apply this to our lives. Number one, be a blessing to your local church like Abraham was. Amen? And number two, ask God to bless you and give you success like he did for Abraham. Amen? Who wants to be blessed? Who wants to be blessed to be a blessing to others? Amen? Let's confess this over our finances, over our tithe. On the count of three, one, two, three. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel, revealed to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and is still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and a curse. It must be qualitative, a priority, and a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed through obedience, and is mandated for all, and brings us into partnership with God and his church. Amen. Please stand to your feet with me this morning. Again, 10% of your total income is your tithe. Anything that you give after that becomes your offering. You can decide where that offering goes, whether to missions or building. And you 
got to believe and trust that God is going to do amazing things with your offering. Amen? Let's recite this scripture together. Acts 20, 35. The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for every blessing that we have. We thank you that we don't lack any good thing, dear God, that we are your children as disciples. And I pray for faithfulness in our tithes, God. I pray that even through struggles, we would trust in your word and know that you are going to take care of us. It's not a law, God. It's a principle given by you and you alone and we will live by it i pray for blessings upon your people doors of financial opportunities to open breakthrough dear god and i pray for anxiety and stress because of finances to be broken off your people in the name of jesus and everybody said amen come up as you give Amen. How many love Jesus? Can I get a hallelujah? Amen. So glad to have you here. You made it. You survived Siberia. And here we are back at it again. Amen. The devil can't stop the gospel train. Uh, weather can't stop the gospel train. Just look at your neighbor and just go, choo-choo. Amen. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. We are in a series right now for such a time as this. Starting off our new year, we wanted to give you a focus in the church, give you a focus in your life. And the focus that we have is that vision, loving God and loving people. And our strategies connect mentor sense. So year after year, it's always going to be the same. But to make it relevant, to make it exciting, to uh, give it to you in a different way, every year at the beginning of the year, I try to package the vision and the strategy in such a way that you can learn from it. So whether uh, you're Salvador and Jessica who have been here, Salvador, would you raise your hand, please? Let's give it up for Salvador here since the first service many, many years ago here at the new building. So whether you're Jessica and Salvador who has been a part of this for many years or you joined us here at this location or just a few years, we want to repackage this. Just put a new little uh, twist on it so you can see it in a different way, but yet it remains the same. So how many ladies know you still got the same hair, but you put a little twist on it so it can look a little different? Come on, ladies. Fellas, how many know you got that same body, but you try to put a twist on, you try to lift some weights, look good for the new year? Okay, so this is how we're going to do it, and today's message is loving God, loving people. So I'm going to show you in the life of Esther, who we talked about last week, and if you missed it, it's online, Queen Esther, we actually just entitled the message for such a time as this. But if you missed it, go and check it out. And now today, I'm going to build off that same story that's found in her life and apply it to loving God, loving people. Now look with me to Esther chapter 4, verse 14. When you're there, say I'm there. Some of you are there. I want to wait for the rest of you to get there. And this is our text for the whole series. And like always, you can get the notes online. 
Esther 4.14 says, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Everybody say, for such a time as this. Come on, say it again. For such a time as this. Amen. So the story is in summary. There's a young Jewish girl. She lost her mom and dad. She's being raised by her older cousin as her stepfather. His name is Mordecai. They live in Persia. Persia has conquered many nations, just like we see in the movie 300. It had King Xerxes, that same king you saw in the movie 300. So they conquered many nations. Israel was one of them and brought them into captivity. So this family, Mordecai and his cousin uh, Esther, are growing up there, living their life in Persia. The Persian king, King Xerxes, has a wife, Vashti, and she doesn't listen to him, so he gets mad and he says, you're no longer my wife, divorces her, and then puts out a search for another wife. While he's looking for a wife, he falls in love with Esther. Queen Esther, or Esther rather, becomes the queen, the new queen of Persia. This little Jewish humble girl now becomes the queen of the mega power of that time. Now, at this same moment, this guy named Haman raises up in Persia and starts oppressing the Jewish people. And Mordecai, who is, uh, you know, Queen Esther's stepfather, is being oppressed by Haman. And Haman gets so mad at Mordecai that he says, I'm not only going to kill Mordecai, I want to kill all of his people. And King Xerxes actually stamps on his request, and okay, go for it. And that just shows you how crazy King Xerxes was. Once again, referencing the movie 300, this is how crazy he was in conquering, that all it took was one of his officials to say, I don't like this Jewish guy, so let's kill all the Jews. And he goes, okay, that's fine, go ahead and do it. Then Mordecai comes to Queen Esther and says, hey, you are here at the palace for such a time as this. God can use you to deliver our people. You're the queen. Do something about it. So now does everybody understand where this, uh, this passage of Scripture comes from? This is Mordecai speaking to her, and he says, hey, if you remain silent, you're going to get destroyed, but God will raise up another. And so we talked about it last week that God will use somebody else to reach your family if you don't want to do it. God will use somebody else to reach your high school if you don't want to do it. He pulled me out all the way from Fort Wayne, Indiana to reach this part of Chicago because there's some Chicagoans that don't want to do it. So I want you to understand you have a calling, and we learned this last week, but you have a choice whether or not you receive that calling. And if you don't receive that calling, if you say, I don't want to be the kind of Christian God wants me to be, I don't want to reach my school, I don't want to do these things, you will perish. You will suffer for that decision. You only hurt yourself. But then we saw she did choose the right thing. She did want to save her people. She called a fast. They prayed. She then went in to see the king. And when she went in, she set up Haman because previously Mordecai had saved King Xerxes' life by exposing a conspiracy. Mordecai was sitting by the gate in Persia, and he heard two of, of King Xerxes' officials talking about trying to assassinate him. And, and Mordecai told Queen Esther, and then it was exposed. And so this day... 
she brought uh, Haman in, the guy that hated Mordecai, before the king and said, guess what? There was a man who saved you, and we never honored him. What should we do with him? And so they said, let's honor Mordecai. Let's bless Mordecai. Let's do things. And then she pointed out to Haman and said, but Haman's been hating on him, trying to kill him. And then all of a sudden, Haman was caught, you know, because the man he was trying to kill, that King Xerxes just exalted they then turned against Haman, and King Xerxes said to Esther, what should we do? And then he, uh, they said, kill him and his family. So God then spared the Jewish people, and then this man died. And so if you look at the introduction of today's message, what we see in the story of Esther is a clear example of her love for God and people. Please go to the introduction, sir. If we look at her life, this further up, look at this. If we look at her life, what do we see? We see an example of her love for God and people. Both Mordecai and Queen Esther refused to worship anything other than God and were willing to lay down their lives for others. Though the story contains that uh, severe judgment for the villain Haman and his family, however, this does not diminish the righteousness of God. Somebody say righteousness. But rather, that judgment serves as an example of eternal punishment for those who refuse to love the one true God and others as themselves. So when you look back at that story, what do we see? God is doing something through his people and through the obedience of their actions. But he's also punishing those who are not doing the right thing. So what side do you want to be on? Do you want to be on Queen Esther's side or do you want to be on Hammond's side? Do you want to be the kind of person that loves God and loves people or do you want to be the kind of person that worships false gods, idols, things of your own heart and then try to hurt people or get over on people, take advantage of people, be selfish in life and suffer like Haman did. You see, there's a consequence for not choosing loving God and loving people. So when we talk about our vision every week, we're loving God, loving people. If you sit back passively and say, I'm not sure if I really want to do that, you've already made a decision, and that is not to do it. You will then be held responsible for the evil and the things of the world you saw and did not speak up for. As the old saying goes, for evil people to prosper, all that has to happen is good people do nothing. So if you sit here passively and say, I'm not sure if I want to go for that, you've already made your decision. And then for those here who may be rebellious and say, I don't need to serve the Christian God, I don't need to love my neighbor as myself, you will be punished and you will suffer. So what side do you want to be on, loving God and loving people, or do you want to be on loving yourself and serving false gods and idols? Now, I want you to see how Mordecai and Queen Esther loved God and people. Mordecai loved people by rescuing King Xerxes from a murderous plot. And you can see that in Esther chapter 2. Mordecai also loved God by refusing to bow down to uh, Haman and treat him like a god. So the very reason why Haman got so upset with Mordecai and all the Jewish people is because he wouldn't bow his knee to him. If you remember the movie 300 and you see this king, Xerxes, he was treated like a god. And so were his servants that worked with him. They were to be worshipped as little gods to him being a big god. But Mordecai wouldn't bow. Ask yourself a question. If you were in a nation where everybody was bowing to a false idol, and if you didn't bow, it would cost you your life. Would you still stand up for Jesus? 
You see, that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. See, this is Persia now, but before Persia, it was Babylon. See, Babylon took over Israel, and then they came to Babylon, and then the Persians took over the Babylonians. And so we see God's people, whether it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, or whether it's here with Mordecai, were being forced to bow and worship idols. Now, you may not see that kind of idol today or a man saying, I am God, but you may be tempted to bow down to your job, to bow down to your family members and what they think you should do with your life. You may be tempted to bow down to your money and to serve money more than you serve God. You may be tempted to bow down to pornography and sexuality before you bow down to God. And God is trying to teach us through this person, Mordecai, that he loved people and he loved God and did not bow his knee. Even to the point of suffering, he was willing to do it. We also see that Mordecai loved God and people by risking his life to help the Jewish people. He was willing to be a revolutionary, not for his sake only, but for the sake of others. And see, that's a question that you have to ask yourself. Maybe you may, might be here and you say, yeah, my family, we're good. We're keeping the idols of our culture out of our home. We're raising our children right. Yes, but do you care about your neighbor? Do you care about your neighbor's neighbor? Or are you just bunkering down like those guys in those bunkers getting ready for the apocalypse saying, hey, as long as us four and no more are good, I don't have to worry about it. But Mordecai didn't say, I'm just caring about myself. And my four and no more. He said, I care about this whole nation. I wonder if there's anybody here that cares about the nation, that wants to make a difference in your friends' lives, your neighbors' lives, your community, your city, and the whole entire world. You know that we can impact the world today like never before? When you give to missions, you're impacting the world. You're, you're going to the Philippines. Every time you put money towards that, towards that mission trip, you're sending it towards them. Every time you see a news article, do you know that more Christians died this year than any year previously, mostly in Nigeria, Pakistan, and in North Korea? Do you know that when you see this on Facebook and online and you pray for them, God is actually responding to those prayers and blessing these people where they're at? There's about 20,000 Christians right now in concentration camps in North Korea. And when you hear about that and you pray for them, it makes a difference. And then even just touching base again with the Pakistan thing, a bomb went off and one of their churches killed 88 people. I'm sending on behalf of Metro Praise International books to them on Islam as a result of your mission giving. You can make a difference. You can care about the world or you can only care about yourself. What do you want to do, right? Mordecai loved God and people by caring for others. And then you see number four, Esther loved God and people by accepting her call to be a deliverer for the Jewish people. So, I mean, this one even took more sacrifice. I mean, it's one thing for Mordecai to care about what's going on. It's another thing for Esther. The king didn't even know Esther was a Jew. So she could have just said, hey, I'm in a new place. I'm being taken care of. I don't need to risk it. On behalf of these people. And you see a similar story with Moses. He was being raised as a prince in Egypt, but he risked his place with the Pharaoh to set his people free as well. And this we see in, in Esther's life that she cared more about the approval of God than the approval of men. Because when she went to King Xerxes, she was willing to die because the edict had already been given. So by that law that had already been given, when she said to King Xerxes, I'm a Jew, he could have just said let's kill her now and he was that kind of a wicked man that could have done that 
And the question that I want to ask you is, are you willing to lay down your life for others? Are you willing to lay down your life for others? Now, we as parents, we see this so easy, so relevant. You know, I want to work hard so my kids can have a good life. I want them to go greater and fur- be greater and go further in life than I am. But that's, that's easy for your children. But would you say that about your neighbor's children? Would you say, I want the best for my neighbor's children? Would you say, I want the best for kids in public high schools? I want the best for kids in Shores and Lane Tech and Steinmetz. You know, I want kids in Von Steuben. I want kids on the south side, the west side. I want them to have a good life. You see, God is trying to help us to understand when we make it about us, we suffer from our own selfishness. But when we make it about others, we're blessed to be a blessing. And when we give, it's given back to us. And when we love others, it's because our heart is full of love. And you can never give away too much love to have God not refill your tank with more love to give. And there, of course, is people that can use and abuse you and take advantage of you. But that never stopped Jesus from going to the cross. Even though people reject Jesus going to the cross and they spit upon him, and even today people mock him, he still went to the cross. So I would rather stand out on that street and reach out to people for Jesus and people, 100 people mock me so that I can reach the one that will accept the message. I would rather do that than say, well, I'm so afraid of rejection. I'm not going to go try love anybody because you know what? They're going to hurt my feelings. No, let's be like Jesus. Let's say even if they reject me, I'm still going to go out there. Even if 10 of my coworkers reject me, I'm going to do it because one day one of these coworkers is going to be going through a divorce or something's going to be going on in their family, and they're going to be looking for somebody to pray with, and hopefully they'll know in the cubicle next to them or in the factory line right here, there's a Christian that they can reach out to because that person cares for them. When we look at the examples of Mordecai and Esther, we can apply it to our church. Very simple. We see here a way to love God and love people. Number one, we can love God. Please scroll up with me, sir. We can love God like Mordecai and refuse to worship anything other than God. That's the first thing. We can say, I'm not worshiping anything other but God. I won't worship political correctness. I won't worship my job. I won't worship my parents. I will not put anything before God. And then like Esther, we could say, I'll obey God's commands, even if it comes with a price. I'm willing to take that risk. You all get that? We can look at Mordecai's life and say, I'm going to love God by not worshiping anything but God. And we can look at Esther's example and say, I'm going to obey God, even if it costs me everything. And then number two, we can see love for people through Mordecai by him reaching out with Esther to help the people. We can say, you know what? We're going to help people in this world. We're not going to let our hearts get hard. We're not going to become bitter towards this world. We're not going to bunker down and say, you know, to hell with everybody else. We're going to care and we're going to take risks and we're going to meet needs. Whether it's on the west side, whether it's going to the hospitals, whether it's going to the gay community, even if we don't agree with their lifestyle, we're going to reach out and let it be known that we love you in Jesus' name and we're here to help you. And then we will preach the gospel to them. Why? Because when Esther went and met before our uh, 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 
King Xerxes, she had a plan to set up Haman. She had a way to bring about this thing. And she said, okay, y'all fast, my attendants will fast, and then I'm going to set up these dinners. And that's why I believe we see us preaching the gospel and making disciples with people. We're not just coming, giving them a hug. You know, sometimes you'll see on the streets, downtown, there'll be these, you know, kind of like these hipsters. They'll say, free hugs, you know, and they'll just be like hugging on people. We're not just giving free hugs. We also want to tell them the plan of salvation. You You've got to do this, you've got to avoid this, and follow what God said. So what does it mean to love God and love people? Let's look at Jesus' words. Turn with me to Matthew 22, verse 35. If you're excited, somebody say, I'm excited. Amen. I just can't hide it. Amen. Look with me to Matthew chapter 22, verse 35. One of the greatest verses you'll ever read in the Bible. Obviously, it's all the word of God, but When you're looking to summarize the Bible, I want everyone to pay attention to this. If you don't hear anything else in today's sermon, hear this. These are the words of Jesus, and this is not just the summary of my sermon today. These are the words of Jesus, the summary of what he wants everyone to do. I know some churches may confuse you. They may may give a lot of different messages. Well, they want me to give money. They want me to go to the prayer meeting. They want me to do this. This is what Jesus said we have to do. And if you leave here and say, well, I don't know if I agree with that pastor, there is no way you can disagree with this man. Jesus set the the rules. Amen? We're doing it his way. Look at what he said. One of them, an expert in the law. Somebody say he was an expert. Okay, so this means he was a Jewish person and he knew all the 613 Jewish laws. There were 613 Jewish laws, and he knew them all. He was an expert. He went to school for it. He probably could recite all 613. That is what they did. They spent their life understanding Jewish law. And he asked him, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. If you notice, the Bible doesn't just say love God with your heart, just the parts of you that feel good, just the parts of you that give you that goosebump feeling when you, when you call upon his name, but it also said to love God with your mind. That's why Harvard University was established as a Bible college. Truth for Christ and his church was their motto. Now it's just truth, veritas. But if you don't have the grounding of Christ, you have no truth because he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So let us learn from the example of the first founders of Harvard. It's truth for Christ and his church. We use our mind, we use our hearts, and then we use our soul, which is our emotions and our will. And he said, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. It is paired to it. You cannot have it without having the other one. They come together. This second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. All the law. How much of the law, friends? All the law. All 613 commands that God gave the Jewish people found in the Torah from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All 613. And all that the prophets said. All the way from Elijah to Malachi and all the prophets in between hang on these two commands. That's Jesus, baby. Look at your neighbor and say, that's Jesus. 
So loving God, loving people, it's not some slogan that I came up with to try to get more people into this church. Loving God and loving people is the mandate for every Christian and every, every person. So if they're a Christian, they have to fulfill that to show they are a Christian. If they are not a Christian, they will be judged by this on Judgment Day. Matthew 25 says how they'll be judged on the people they have helped in this world. He'll divide them by sheep and goats. To the sheep, he'll say, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was homeless, you gave me shelter. And they'll say, when did we do those things for you, Lord? And he says, when you've done these for the least of me, you've done them for me. Now enter into the place of rest. You will be judged on that. Then he'll say to the goats at his left side, he'll say, you did not feed me. You did not give me drink. You did not clothe me and you did not bring me into your home and they'll say Jesus when did we ever see you naked and thirsty and hungry and without a shelter he said what you did not do unto the least of these you did not do unto me now depart listen into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels the reason why lost mankind will go to hell where the devil has been consigned, where the devil has uh, been, that place has been prepared for them, is when they're disobedient to what Christ said. So if you remain neutral, my friends, you have already made your decision. So I bid you today to repent and come to Christ and repent of not loving God and loving people. And for those here who say, yes, I want to love God and love people, do it with all your heart. No compromises. No compromises. Everything you have is for everything of who God is. It's not like your heart is a condominium and there's four condos in there and you're just going to give one condo to Jesus and the other three you're going to keep for yourself. Or like your house, a three-bedroom apartment. Jesus can have my dirty closet where I have all my problems and all the issues of my life. But I get the living room to party and do what I want. I get the checkbook and get to spend money as I want. Dito Jesus, you just go in the closet and clean up my mess. It is all or nothing, baby. He's either the Lord of all or he's not the Lord at all. He didn't ask for 50% of your heart, 70%. He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and in another place, your strength. And then when he said, love your neighbor, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And the loving your neighbor as yourself is qualified that you're not suicidal. So if you're suicidal, do not harm other people. It already takes for granted that you care about yourself. That's when you're hungry, you feed yourself. When you need clothes, you clothe yourself. When you need encouragement, you encourage yourself. So as to the point, you love yourself. And I want to tell you in this generation, we have a lot of self-loving people. Just look at all the selfies on Facebook. Look at all the selfies on Facebook. Love People that same way. Love them with that love you have of yourself. And for some of us, that's a whole lot of love to give, isn't it? Here's how we love God and people. Now, this is our best interpretation. I've spent my life studying God's Word. I have an earned master's degree, and I want to get a Ph.D. in my 40s. I said I'm taking the rest of my 30s off to write. I'm on my eighth book right now by God's grace. 
And this is the best way that I have found. I've studied history and John Wesley and others who took this very seriously to love God and love people. This is very serious in the church. It's not a game that we should play with and pastors should have a way that we're going to do this. We shouldn't just flippantly throw it out there and then go back to business as usual, having more choir rehearsals and more plays and more kids' productions. If we're going to love God and love people, there's better be some teeth to it, some bite to it. There better be some action to it. There better be some some steps that we ought to be taking, some goals that we're putting in place because this is how Christ judges us and he says these are the two greatest commandments. So here is what I would present to you today and ask you if you can summarize it any better to come see one of us, uh, one of the pastors or write us on Facebook, but this is our best interpretation. We're going to love God by worshiping and adoring him with passion. That from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation, we just see worship unto God as a way of showing your love to him. We know it comes natural to like music. Everybody likes music. Do you understand that? It's the language of everybody. You may not like the same music as your neighbor, but everybody loves music. And then we all love to have love. Even if you're a Satanist and you guys love to hate people, you still love to hate people. And the people in that group you love to love. It's crazy like that. Even gangbangers love each other as they're killing other people people. Everybody has a worship in their heart. Everybody has a love to give. Everybody. It's, it's how we were made. It's just what are we doing with it? And I believe we give it to God first and foremost. We give all of those talents, all of our dreams, all of our hopes, all, all of our songs in our heart, all of the poems, all of the beauty we give back to him. And then we obey his commands. Just as I'm teaching my children, if you love me, you'll obey me, Bethany. You'll listen to me when I speak to you. You'll be obedient. It is tied to that love that I have for my daughter, that when she does something that pleases me, it shows her love. It's one thing for her just to tell me she loves me, but it shows me her love when she's obedient. So I would want to give to you today those two practical ways to love God by worshiping him. And obeying all of his commands. The way that I would see to love people all throughout the scripture once again from beginning to end. Loving people is helping them in their times of need. Being there for them. You may not be able to do something good for everybody. But you can do something good for somebody. Just meeting needs. Going out of your way. Taking care of people. Not just your family. But of other families in the community. And then preaching the gospel to them, giving them the way of salvation because we all die. And I was talking to my neighbor, he's of a Buddhist tradition, but he was raised in India. And we've been sharing our faith one with another. And, you know, uh, he said to me at the end, he, he said yesterday to me, you know, the most important thing to me is that we just love each other and understand that there's different ways to God. And I said, that is not the most important thing to me. The most important thing to me is that you understand there's only one way to God. And literally for 10 minutes, I had to take the teachings that have been abused by Hindu and Buddhist leaders concerning Jesus and rip them out of their mouths and put them back where they belong in the Bible. He said, well, Jesus said this, and this is what this man said he meant. And I had to go, take him back to it in the scripture and go, no, this is not what Jesus meant. He did not mean that he was just the way for Christians and the truth just for Christians. That is a lie. He actually said, and I took him right to John chapter 10. Jesus said, all who come before me are thieves and robbers. 
Who came before Jesus? Buddha. He was a thief and a robber. And he said, my sheep did not listen to them. The Jewish people rejected Eastern philosophy. And then he says, I am the gate, and then I am the shepherd, and that's the only way you go into the sheepfold. And then he clarified what makes him that shepherd. I will die and lay down my life for the sheep and raise it up again. That's it. That is the defining characteristic of Jesus. Not that he just gave you fortune cookie ideas. Not that he was just one among many. He laid down his life for the sheep. Where is Buddha? You'll find his grave. Where is Muhammad? You'll see his grave. Where is Jesus? You can't find him because he rose on the third day, ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father and is waiting to come back for those who worship him now. So we not only love people by just helping them, we have to present to them Jesus Christ. He is who he said he was. And he will do, amen, what he said he will do. Now I want you to see this as the biblical mandate and all the scriptures that we have with this so you can take some notes today. And I know that there's no way I can read all of these scriptures, though I'll try. I'll try to read them all, but I want you to study them at home this week. I want you to ask yourselves, is this something that should be the goal of my life? And if it's not going to be the goal, what in the world can you possibly put in place of this? Well, I'm not going to love God and love people. I want to win friends and influence people. My life motto is going to be winning friends. If you try to live your life just winning friends and influencing people, you will fail greatly. You may say, well, I want to be kind to people, but not Christian or religious in that way. You will fail greatly. Just joining the Peace Corps or the Red Cross and helping flood victims, you will lead them to hell because you are a blind guide, not knowing where you're going, neither where they're going, and both of you will fall into the ditch. I I cannot see of any other way other than this way. But now that you've been presented it, I want to show you the scriptures. And I want you to see, are you compelled to love God and love people? Like, does it compel you? Not just that you sit here and amen me and agree with me and go, yeah, that makes sense. And I guess that's probably what they believe. No, does it compel you to do something? Looking back at that story of Esther and Mordecai, they were compelled to help others. Even though Mordecai was under the oppression of King Xerxes as his ruler, he still didn't want him to be assassinated that way. He still spared his life. And even though Queen Esther could have hit reset and started over, she risked her life to help others. You see, they made decisions that compelled them to live a different kind of life. Let's start with loving God through worship. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now I'm going to have to go through these quickly because I do want to read a few of them. And they're all on the notes if you need them. But turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6 verse 5. And then we'll look at verses 14 and 15 as well. And by the way, I've rewrote uh, the 201 book, and that will be coming out. But uh, the one we have right now has all of this in it as well. But I've also rewritten the 201 with a lot of extras, so hopefully you guys will be excited about that when it comes out. Amen. Here it is. David 
is the subject of this story. We see David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. This is that time of the law where they had to offer sacrifices before the Ark of the Covenant representing God's presence. And so now David is bringing it in to Jerusalem. And it says, David and all of Israel were celebrating in all their might before the Lord with castanets and harps and lyres and timbrels and sistrums and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor, Uzzah um, it took hold of the Ark because God had the ox had even stolen the Lord burned against him is this verse 5 okay now go on to verse 14 so it says there in verse 5 basically that they're uh, they're bringing in the ark we don't have to read all of that but here wearing a linen ephod David was dancing before the Lord with all of his what what did he dance before the Lord with all of his might so they're bringing in the ark and David starts to dance before God would you dance before God if I turned up the music right now, would you start dancing? See, you, you don't dance for me. You don't dance for your neighbor because they may think you're goofy. Okay? But would you dance for God? And I'm not talking a certain kind of dance. The Jewish people might have danced, you know, something like this, you know, kicking out their feet. You know, today, you know, kind of like the teenagers, they just kind of hop, you know, in church. Then there's maybe like, you know, juking and all of that. Probably not so much for the Lord, you know. Maybe a little salsa for Jesus or something. But, but the point is, would you dance for Jesus? See, David danced for Jesus. He loved Jesus. And it says, as the ark was, uh, it says, while he and all Israel were bringing in the ark with shouts and the sound of trumpets, would you shout for God? You know, we, we see that we're creatures that are capable of shouting because you watch football, you watch sports, you watch these shows, and people shout out for things. Would you shout out for God? Sometimes people tell me, well, that's not my culture. We're a quiet people, you know. Let me give your people a million-dollar check and watch how much you shout then. You ain't no quiet people. You're just, you're just making excuses because you don't want to embarrass yourself. And see, people want to go to churches that are more like museums than they want to go to churches that are like this because they want to just sit quietly and act like God ain't worth it. Because you know what? Most of them probably haven't even had an encounter with God to begin with. He's just that emaciated statue on the wall up there. But if you get anybody that's known Jesus, has met Jesus, has touched Jesus, baby, they got something to shout about. They got something to dance about. They know that God is real. You can't stop them because because they'll praise him anyhow. The Bible even says if God's people don't praise him, the rocks will cry out. Do I have anybody up in Metro praise that wants to praise his name? Woo! Hallelujah! David was willing to dance and get excited and shout because he knew who God was. And a part of this story, his wife, Michal, mocked him and laughed at him. And the Bible says she was cursed. So be careful about how you treat people as they're genuinely experiencing God's presence. We should not mock what God is doing in people's hearts. You don't see electricity, but if you touch it, you'll, you'll see somebody react to it. You know, you may not see what's going on in their life, but they're touching Jesus, baby. That's why they're shaking. That's why they're crying. That's why they're laughing. You may not see what's going on, but God is doing something on the inside of them. Amen? And if you don't believe me, we'll open up a light socket and let you touch it and see what you do. Well, I don't see any electricity. Ah, I don't see it. I, I don't understand. 
That's what happens when you come to church. Your neighbor may be the frozen chosen, but if Jesus touches you, you're going to have a reaction to it. Amen? It, nobody else got to see it, but you know right here it's God touching you. Amen. Let's look to the next scripture as we keep on going. We can look now to John chapter 4, verse 23. This is all just about loving God through our worship, through our praise, through our dances. And it's not just something you do on Sunday. It's a lifestyle that you live. You're happy because God is with you. You're not happy because you have a paycheck. Paychecks come and go, but the presence of the Lord remains. So you're happy because God is with you. There was once a man in Romania. His name was Richard Warmbrandt, and you can get his book for free online, Tortured for Christ. He was tortured for Christ when communism, my wife is reading the book now, when communism rose in his nation during World War II, he wouldn't bow his knee to this government even though other churches were doing so. Many Christians joined Nazi Germany as well. But here in Romania, he didn't bow his knee. And he got sent to Siberia, just like how we experienced yesterday, or last week rather, how cold and snowy it was. Imagine being in a prison cell with hardly any clothes, any food. But he said, the love of God has warmed my heart so much that it has melted the ice of Siberia. He said, God warmed my heart. It was God that filled his heart with joy. It wasn't a TV show. It wasn't a car. It wasn't a house. It was God that filled his heart. Can you say like that, man? It's God that fills my heart. Of course we want to prosper and have family and all of these different things, but it's God first, my friends. And I know as we're turning to John chapter 4, verse 23, that some of you may face hard times this year, that not every year is going to give you something in the natural to shout about, that you may face death. There are some people here today that may not be alive this time next year. You're not promised tomorrow, and yet you may be tempted to turn your heart against God and say he's no longer worthy of praise. He's no, he's no longer worthy to be that person that I have worshipped on my good days. Now on my bad days, I feel that he has forsaken me. There was an old song, a hymn that they used to sing in the church, It Is Well With My Soul, and it came from a man who went through great tragedy. He was friends with D.L. Moody here in Chicago. And they were on their way to go travel to take a vacation in London. He couldn't go because the Chicago fire had happened and he had to stay behind and take care of his business. But he sent his wife and kids ahead. And in that ship that his wife and children were in, it sunk and everybody died. His wife and his children. And yet, he still got on a ship to sail towards London. And he asked the, the, the master of the ship, he said, when we get to the place where they think that my wife and children's ship has sunk, let me know so that I can pay my respects to them. And there, as he sailed on that ocean, and they found what they believe to be the best place to where his family had died. He wrote these words as a song, as a businessman, not even a worship leader, but he wrote these words from his heart. When peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows and roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul.
Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. You love God even if things in this world don't go your way. You proclaim his kingdom even when the kingdom of this world shakes and falls apart. I'm not looking for proof and evidence of God in a paycheck or how well things go for me. As a matter of fact, when things go bad and suffering comes, it's actually more of an evidence to God. It's why are things so wrong, but on the inside, I want them so right. Where did this desire for making wrong things right come from? It came from a God who placed us in a garden and allowed us to choose our own way. And now sin has brought all of these punishments upon mankind. And God is saying, I'm your hope. I'm your peace. And when everything fails, he'll still be there. That's why he says to the weary and the heavy laden, come to me and you shall find rest. You shall find rest. So John chapter 4 verse 23, do you understand it's not just for good days. It's for days when you're in the hospital like Jared was with his father and his dad is passing away. On that day, it is well with his soul. The day that my mother buried her daughter because of drinking and driving in a tragic accident, it is well with her soul. Why? The whole world's falling apart. Yet, but God remains the same. He is our foundation. If you remember the story that Jesus gave at the end of the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he gave the story of a wise builder and a foolish builder. And he said, the wise person builds their life upon my words. And that is as a foundation. And when the storms come, the foundation in the house remains. But the one who's like a fool who hears these words builds, but doesn't do it, builds their house on the sand. And when the storms come and the wind blow, it knocks their house down. Listen to this, my friend. Storms are coming to both of our lives, the lost and the saved. They're coming to the wicked and to the righteous. You can't escape the storm, but you can have a foundation through the storm. He can be your foundation no matter what you're facing. I believe that today, amen. And so that's a word for somebody. Write that down on your hardest day and go back and read it and say, Oh, my pastor taught me that when these bad days come, it should still be well with my soul. It's easy to be happy now, but wait till that comes, amen? It changes. One phone call can change everything. One person telling you something can change. When my mom came into my bedroom within 30 seconds and told me my sister had died, it had changed everything. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, somebody say true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So many people now are looking for God. They want to call up Madam Cleo. They want to get the horoscope. They, they want to go on these spiritual treasure chest journeys with these Hindu gurus and try yoga. And they want to do a different diet and become vegetarians and then fruititarians. And pretty soon they'll just be airitarians. Just all, all they need is air. Just, that's all I need. No, baby, I'm killing the cow, sacred cow. That's what I am, man. I am a meatitarian. 
But that's the popular thing. Oh, I'm a vegetarian. Oh, I'm a fruititarian. Oh, I'm, I'm all whole foods and all of this. You know, because people think in their mind this is what God will be pleased with. This is what will make them more powerful. Yet that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say follow such and such a diet. See, he summed up those laws of diet in those in the two commands we have now. So it's not about the laws of diet. It's not about what day we worship on. It's not about what priest we have in charge of our temple or even what our temple looks like. It's about true worshipers, baby. And are you one? That's the bottom line is are you a true worshiper? And I'm not just talking about you wave your hands when everybody does. You touch your heart. You cry a cry, a tear. What I'm asking is in your heart, is it spirit and is it true? Is it spiritual and is it true? Spiritual worship means it goes beyond just your natural mind, more than just saying thank you to God. You're saying on the inside of you, everything here, God, is yours, and I'm so grateful for it. I love you. You love God with everything, and then it's true because you're not a hypocrite. You're not fake. You really love God. You really obey his commands, not just on Sunday but on Friday. You might say, Pastor, what if we sin? Then you repent and you hate your sin. But what you're not is fake and a hypocrite. If we had to be perfect to be in church, we could never be in church by that model. If a policeman had to be perfect to be a police officer, he could never be a police officer. But what they're looking for is people in their heart that desire to keep the law. Do you want to keep the law? Will you abide by this? Yes, you could be a police officer. You could take an oath. It's the same thing as a Christian. Do you love God here? Do you want God's will to be done in your heart? Then worship him in spirit and in that truth. He's your God. He's your father, and you're obedient to him. Amen? Now let's look at how we obey God by keeping his commands, looking at the next set of notes, the next point. When we look at God's word, we begin to see that his commands are tied to his character. That God's commands are not arbitrary. They're not something that he just makes up and says, hmm, let me see, what can I stop them from doing today? Oh, wow, look at adultery. It looks like it's so much fun, angels. Let's take that fun thing away from them. Let's tell them to not commit adultery. Oh, look at coveting and being jealous and bitter towards what someone else has. Oh, that's such a good thing, but I'm going to tell them not to do it. No, the commands of God are tied to his character. God is holy. Isaiah 6, the Bible says the prophet saw him and he declared, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. These commands that we see in the Bible come from God's holiness. Holiness determines what is right and wrong. Sometimes people think feelings determine what is right from wrong. Especially now when we're talking about in the homosexual movement, people may say, I feel turned on by another man or woman of the same gender. I experience all of these great feelings, and this couldn't be bad because God gave it to me. Well, my friend, when I get angry, I feel good when I slap you. I feel so good when I kick you when I'm angry. And when I want something, I feel so good when I steal it and don't get caught. And when I want to have sex with multiple women, I feel good when I look at pornography and I can have the pick of the litter. You see, your feelings can deceive you. You can be deceived by your feelings. 
Don't let feelings be the determination of your life. Make sure you have a foundation for your right and wrong. You look at this uh, starting in Deuteronomy. Please turn there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1. We see in the Old Testament God giving us this kind of understanding that commands are tied to his character. So even though he gave us those 613 commands and they're fulfilled today in the two commands, these were still important for the Jewish people to understand. He was doing it out of his character to teach them things. The dietary laws were to teach them to be separate from what they eat, from what the nations eat. The priestly laws were to teach that those who have the Spirit of God and lead the people are to be held to a higher standard. The civil laws were there to teach that a godly government was to have justice and was to be one that helps the people. And then the sacrificial law is that when we mess all this up, something, an animal dies, sheds blood for our mistakes. You see, those laws meant something. And here he says, love the Lord your God and keep his, keep his requirements, his and his, and his, how often? Amen. He said, if you love me, you will keep my requirements, you will keep my decrees, you will keep my laws, and you will keep my commands always. So until Jesus came and said, these 613 are summed up, you had to keep these. This is what you did. This is what the Jewish people did. And today, if the Jewish people do not accept the Messiah, as the one who fulfilled the law and gave now the law of Christ, they are still fulfilling the law of Moses to the best of their ability. But we are no longer under those decrees, those laws, because Christ said, here's the new way, here is the new covenant. But yet the principle, like we learned in tithing, remains the same. If you love God, you always obey what he teaches. Your heart towards sin really shows you your heart towards God. So think to yourself right now, your favorite flavor of sin, the temptation that you really could stumble in today if you let down your guard. Now ask yourself this personal question, what is my attitude towards that sin? So a popular one among men is pornography. If that man says, well, I tolerate this sin, nobody's perfect, I'll just ask for forgiveness and, you know, God will understand. Your heart towards that sin shows me you really don't love God like you ought to. If you look at that sin and you say, this sin breaks my heart, I don't like this sin, though it even feels good, but I don't like it because it brings guilt and shame. I understand that Christ did not command me to live this way. He told me to do the opposite. And if I sin in this way, it breaks my heart. I am convicted and don't want to do it, but rather hate to do it. Then that shows you truly love and honor God. If Bethany wakes up today and says, you know what, I know my dad told me not to, you know, to, to, to not to back talk uh, my mom, but you know what, it's okay, he'll forgive me, I'll still be his daughter, so I'm going to yell at my mom today. That is not okay. Her attitude has shown me that she doesn't really love and honor me. But as she loves and honors me, though she makes that mistake, she will show that she doesn't like that mistake and the consequences that it has in our relationship, let alone the punishment. I don't fear God's punishment 
as much as I fear being out of relationship with him. I don't want to lose my intimacy with God because of my love for sin. It's simple like this. Love what God loves and hate what he hates. Now let's look at John chapter 14, verse 23. Somebody say, I want to hear Jesus. Amen. This is what Jesus said. John chapter 14, verse 23 tells us exactly what Jesus said. And I was talking to Jared today. What a confirmation that in the 201 class, they were on the lesson today of loving God and loving people. What a confirmation that while I was rewriting the 201 book, and I've been doing that now, uh, uh, Elliot can testify that I've been doing that now for almost uh, you know, three and four weeks that I had to do that lesson this week as I was preparing to preach. So three different times I have been involved in this lesson, 201 students, two times, and if you're just here, one time is enough, amen? But I'm telling you, it's been confirmed that this is God's heart. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will sometimes obey. It says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to them and make our home with them. If anyone does not love me, anyone who does not love me will not what? Obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who has sent me. Could it be any clearer now to love God is to worship him? and to obey his commands. Can I hear an amen? amen? I want you now to look at loving people. The most famous story in the Bible, Luke chapter 10. Turn there quickly. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Who knows the most famous story about loving people? Who wants to shout it out? It's two words. Good Samaritan. Put a the there, three words. The Good Samaritan. Everybody say, Good Samaritan. Thank you. Do you know that the story of the Good Samaritan is more than just one man helping another. It's actually breaking down the walls of racism. In the time of the Good Samaritan, Samaritans were hated by Jews, very similar to how people in the South, white people, hated African Americans. And so Jesus, when he's speaking to the Jews, he makes the star of the show the Samaritan. It would be like telling a story at the KKK rally of the Deep South and making Kuta Kinte the star of the show. And as a matter of fact, the villains are the racist ones in the story. They are the ones who you look at the worst. Because when you look at the Good Samaritan, he's beaten up by robbers and laid out there for dead. And you can maybe, you know, blame the robbers and say, you know, they're bad people. But it's like they're already corrupted. You would expect no good from them. But what really grabs your heart and attention when you read the story is that the priests walk by this man and he was a Jew like them. And so it really shows you the ones that are the worst are the ones who are religious. The ones who are hypocrites, who really don't love God like they should because they appear to be one way but are really another way. At least the criminal, at least you know who they are. At least when you look at the mugshots, you know who they are. But it's the ones in church that I worry about because nobody really knows who they are. They could be acting one way here, but another way out there, and they cause more damage because when people see them, they're so turned off by church and Jesus because they think everybody's like them. You know, as the post says, if you don't go to church because they're being hypocrites, that's not, not going to the gym because there's people there out of shape. 
You go because of what you're going to do there and what it means to you. Nobody can decide that except you. For me, it's everything. And so you see in that story that it's the good Samaritan, the one that nobody would like, the one that nobody would think would be the good person, actually shows that he is the good person. Why? Because he cared about the person hurting. So it's not just here today, us just saying, oh, yes, I love people. I'm going to do something about it. No, it's actually doing something about it. It's actually putting your boots to the ground and helping others. That's how you know who the Good Samaritan is. And then look with me to 1 John 3.16. Not to mention the passages in Acts where the Bible says that those who had need, they would sell things and give it to the church. That shows you the generosity of the early church. Two things. Number one, people would sell things and give it to the church. Imagine not just giving a tithe, but going beyond that and sacrificing, selling things to give it to the church. And I'm not talking about selling them old chucks you know, shoes you got from, you know, 2008, getting 50 cents at the, you know, uh, Goodwill. I'm talking about they were selling houses and land, okay? That shows that there were some radical giving. The second thing is they trust their church to give it to them. Come on, somebody. They trusted their church with that kind of money. There's there not a lot of churches that people will trust like that anymore. Here's $100,000, Pastor. I just sold my condo. Here's a half a million, Pastor. I just sold this. Not a lot of people would trust their church like that. I hope that you can trust this church like that. I hope that next week when you hear our giving reports, uh, you get your giving reports and hear how we've spent your money, you can be proud of what this church has done. And should the Lord put it on your heart to sell some things, to give some things, you can do it with humility and gratefulness that you know a church is going to use. It, amen. So here we see in 1 John 3.16 the culmination of John's teaching on giving uh, oneself for others. He goes through this whole chapter and he speaks about what it means to give. But here's how he sums right, summarizes it. And remember, this John is the same one that wrote John 3.16. And how does that go? For God so loved that whosoever should not perish. Now look at him say it here in 1 John 3.16. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. Couldn't be said any more clear. We show we love people by action and in truth. Sure, it may inconvenience you. On my way home one day, someone said, hey, I'm going to Elgin. Can you take me there? And I said, sure, I'll bring you there. And they said, hey, can you pick me up and bring me back, you know, the next week? And I said, sure. But you know what? It costs something to do that. You have to go out of your way to pick up people for church. And yes, even the pastor was willing to do that. Are you willing to go out of your way? Are you willing to meet needs for people? We go to the west side not because they give big offerings in our buckets, but because we have to give to someone else and to meet other people's needs. I just don't want to care about this park and this area and this neighborhood. I want to care about Ohio Park and that neighborhood and that area so that when I pray, God, do for others more than you do for me, it actually means something. It's not just me playing make-believe. It's actually me putting something to what I'm saying. 
And I've been hearing so many good reports from Pastor Sue Ellen. Let's give it up for her and what's going on there in the west side. She says that these children that we've been ministering to, who when we went there the first time and did face painting, all they wanted painted on their bodies was the tattoos of their lost loved ones because they saw death so much. She said now after five, six years, we're seeing love and joy and peace in their homes and their faces, and God has transformed them. You see, it may not be for everybody, but it's for somebody. I'm willing to do it for somebody, amen? Willing to make a difference for somebody. And then lastly, we help people by preaching the gospel to them. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. If we don't give them the message of eternal life, how can they then be saved? Romans chapter 10 says they can only be saved by hearing the word of God because faith comes by what? Hearing. And then it goes on to say, how can they, not, how can they hear unless somebody is sent? And what's the last part of our vision? Sent. So you're going to learn about that next week. We have to train you up and mentor you and then send you so the world can hear this message. I thank God that a pastor trained my mother that she could lead me to the Lord at her kitchen table. I thank God for those of you who are here today because someone else reached you and brought you and spoke to you and touched your heart with the gospel. They could preach it to their family. They could preach it to their neighbors. They could preach it on the, at the job, at the supermarket, McDonald's. I just love hearing the stories of where people heard about our church and the gospel from when I meet you here. It is amazing what God has done in this place and through the gospel preachers that are here. Amen? It is amazing. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Are you there with me in 1 Corinthians 9, 16? The Apostle Paul said this, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You see, he understood that. Woe to me if I don't preach. I'm going to be held responsible on judgment day as a part of my reward or lack thereof by what I've done for others. The Bible says some will be saved on Judgment Day, but they'll have no reward. So they were genuine Christians. They did love God. They were born again, and they're not saved by good works. Amen? We're not Jehovah Witnesses here. The more doors you knock on, the better your chances are to get to heaven. That's a lie. And that's what they teach. Trust me, that's what they teach. No, we're not saying go knock on doors, go preach, so you can guarantee your salvation. We're saying because you're saved and you've tasted the good fruit of heaven, give it away. Give it away so that others who are thirsty can drink and hunger. Those can be filled and the hurting can be healed and the bound can be set free and the lost can be found. You do it because of what Christ has done in you. He said, I'm compelled to preach. I cannot sit on my holy backside and do nothing. I have to preach. And woe unto me if I don't. And look at Jude chapter 1, verse 22 through 23. In closing, in, in, in Timothy, Paul talks to Timothy. He says, preach the word. In chapter 4, verse 2, be in season and out of season. That means you're ready whenever the time approaches. Whether it's somebody on the bus or train or a coworker, a family member, a neighbor, you're just ready to share the gospel. We give you flyers here and books to give out, anything to help you. And, of course, we set times throughout the week so you can come. But it has to be done on your life at your time, in your life at your time. Jude chapter 1, verse 22, if you're there, say, I'm there. I'm waiting for the rest of you. Rachel, would you come, please, as we get ready to close? Jude 1, 22. 
says, be merciful to those who doubt. We're to be kind and merciful to those who doubt. If you've ever seen any of my debates that we have online with Muslims, people a part of other cults, we had one with a couple Mormon missionaries. Started with me and one Mormon missionary. He didn't know the answers. He said, can I call up my buddy? He came on stage. There was two. They kept trying to talk and figure out the answers. They couldn't do it. They said, can we call up our other friends? Before you know it, it was one pastor with four Mormon missionaries, and they didn't, none of them knew the answers. They wouldn't let me record that, though, but it was, it was done. If you've been a part of those things, many of you have come up to me and said, the mercy and love you give to them is amazing because you think I would be ridiculing them. Like, hey, Joseph Smith said this. What do you think about that? And they're like, really? We didn't know he said that. And I'm like, I have the document right here. Look it up. Well, we don't have that document. Yeah, it's because your church hides that from you. We got it. Look it up. Put it online. We're putting it online. They're looking at it. They're like, oh, my goodness. We'll, we'll get back to you on that. We'll get back to you. But I don't ridicule them. When I was debating the Muslims, some of you were here. And his opening statement was just so jarbled, you could hardly understand what his main point was. And it literally sounded like a hammer was just coming down, like boom, boom, boom. This is who God is. Boom, you're wrong on this. But at the same time, you could tell. Watch the video. People have told me they've seen this. You can see the grace and mercy. And I took that man out, Nadir Ahmed. I took him out the day before. And we were out at Outback. And I said, I want to take you to the nicest place you can think of. And, he, and, and it was right there in this hotel. I said, okay, let's do Outback. And we put him up in a hotel, and we treated him out. And you know what he said to me? And he's debated people way more popular, way more bigger names than me. He said, none of them have ever done this for me. He said, what's, what's your motive in this? I said, man, before I debate, before, I, before any of this, I'm a pastor, and I love you. I love you. I want you to know Christ. I had my friend over yesterday, and you could just tell, like, you know, he thought he knew Jesus. My friend that's a Buddhist brought up in India, you, he could, you could tell he thought he knew who Jesus was. And just in a few moments, you could just see it all being exposed, and it was almost like he was embarrassed, like, oh, I, yeah, I, I don't know what to say to that. But I reached out to him in the conversation. I go, listen, I'm not doing this to be right. I'm doing this because Jesus is right. We're both wrong. I've been wrong. You've been wrong. But he's the right one. We come to him both the same way. That's why when people say to me, oh, what about those who accept Christ on their deathbed? Should they get to heaven? Yes, they should get to heaven. Jesus showed us with the thief on the cross. That man had lived a sinful life his whole life. But at that moment, he understood who Jesus was. He said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Why? Because there's only one way to Jesus. That's through repentance and re crying out to him and breaking your heart before that man got it on a cross. I got it at a kitchen table. You got it at an altar or in your bedroom or with your parents. I mean, we all come that way, my friends. The Bible says be merciful to those who doubt. And I hope that in this church you've, you've seen mercy, you've seen love. And then it says save others by snatching them out of the fire. So there's others you come to, and you're just, you're just more tenacious with it. You're like, come on, you got to get out of this. you got to leave this. You've got to change your mind. You're pleading with them. Like you're, you're in a house that's on fire, and you're pleading with them, come on. And they're saying, no, I want my Xbox. And you're saying, to hell with your Xbox. Get out the house. 
You're pleading with people. Oh, but I want to have sex. I, I want to spend my money on this. I want to do this with my education. I think this. And you're like, no, that all is going to burn. Get out of that mindset. Run from the world and run to Christ. I wish I could say that to politicians. This is all going to burn anyway. Run to Christ. They're so afraid of losing votes. They're so afraid of what people are going to say. Our nation was built on these principles. Return politicians to these principles. Return leaders and business leaders to these principles, and God will bless us. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear. Sometimes you just got to say, hey, man, hell is going to be hot. And that's what I told my friend yesterday. I'm like, listen, after all this, you've got to understand, you will be held guilty according to this message. And I don't want to see you go to hell. And he's like, man, that's, that's tough. Yeah, you know, you guys are the only ones going to heaven. I said, Jesus said that. Now you don't have an excuse. you got to put a little bit of the fear of God in there. It's not the buffet of religion, amen. It's not Jesus plus Buddha plus Krishna plus the latest thing from Oprah Winfrey. It's his way or no way, amen. Be merciful to some with those, uh, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, even hating the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. So we just, we say, hey, I hate sin, but I love the sinner. That's where that came, that got, comes from. We say we hate that sin, but Jesus said he loves the sinners. Everybody get that? Would you stand to your feet and give it up for Jesus today? Amen. We worship you, Jesus. Come on, just put your hands together and say, I love you, Jesus. Amen. Band, would you come, please? In closing, I want to put this notes back up, the end, our vision, what we started with at the beginning. And I want to ask you a question. Will you love God and people this year? I want to challenge you in all four of those ways. As we get ready to close, will you love God and people this year? How do we love God? By worshiping and adoring Him and by keeping His commands. How do we love people? By helping them in their times of need and preaching the gospel to them. So I'm going to challenge you in those four ways right now as we're standing. And when we get to a time of prayer, maybe you can write it down so you'll remember. But here are the four ways I want to challenge you. And number one, your love for God. I want to ask you this year to have the best devotional time with God you've ever had. I want you in your personal life to make time to worship and pray to God. If you've gotten stuck, some of you have been doing it for a while and you've gotten stuck, practical ways or just get some new worship albums. They're free online. Come talk to one of the pastors and just listen to those men's worship. Or open up the book of Psalms, which are prayers of worship to God, and just read one a day and say, God, spark the love in my heart again. So if you've hit a dry spot, think of new worship albums or praying out loud the book of Psalms. Also, I would encourage you, lifechangingdevotions.com. These are devotions that I wrote out for every day of the year so that those of you who are on the move or feel that times you get stuck in your devotion, someone like myself took time to put it all together that if you just read through it and really put an effort to apply what is being said every day, you will see God moving in your life. Just grow this year. Last year, because I was studying so much at my computer, because I was writing the 365 devotion, God told me, stop doing your, your prayer time at your computer. 
just stop doing it. Because every time I would start praying, I would be like, oh, what does this word in the Greek and Hebrew mean? Oh, and what did this scholar say? Oh, and what did this church father have to say about this? And Oh, what does this commentary say? And God's like, stop, stop. <laughs> That's like what I felt he was doing. He's like, enough. You've studied. You know the know. Okay. But he's like, get to know me. So he told me, stop studying here and start walking and praying out there. And I cannot tell you how many prayer walks I've been on. Oh, my goodness. I want to just... Oh, thank Jesus for him right now. Thank you, Lord, for meeting with me every day. Oh, Jesus. Can't even tell you how many times just walking in my neighborhood that Jesus, Jesus, the one and only, would come and show up. He would speak to my heart, and he would just, just tell me what he thought about me and what he wanted me to do, and he would take away my fears and all of this anxiety. And then he would place you on my heart. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked around my neighborhood just praying for the church and praying for those I see on a Sunday, like taking a snapshot. So if God speaks that to you, just be open this year. Some of you may fast. That means to, to not eat a meal and to make more time for prayer. I think we all could do that. Amen. And if he tells you to do that, do that. Worship more. Pray more. I just challenge you in that area, your personal devotions. I've wrote devotions. We, we we're helping you any way we can. Number two, in obeying God's commands, I want to challenge you to look at commands in your life that you've begun to compromise on, if there is any. And you begin to do things that you used to not do. And things that weren't a big deal, to, uh, things that were a big deal, now are not so much of a big deal anymore. I want you to be careful with that because the Bible says it's the small foxes that will spoil the vine. If you're not careful, these little foxes will come in and ruin your whole vineyard. It's like that little bit of compromise. How does, how does boiling hot water get to room temperature? Do you got to keep putting ice cubes in it? To No, all you got to do is just let it out. Just turn off the fire and just set it out. Is that how some of you are with your commands and following God? I mean, are you just like, well, I'm not killing anybody. Yeah, but you're not with the fire anymore. You're not convicted over the words you speak. Some of you are cursing. You're not convicted over those words. Some of you are bitter. You're complaining. Others of you, you're looking at women too long or guys too long or entertaining sexual fantasies. Some of you stop tithing. You stop giving. You stop sacrificing. Some of you stop coming to extra meetings in the church, and you used to have time, but now you don't have the time, but yet you know you could. I mean, those are the kinds of things I'm talking about. What is God telling you to do? Look at your life. Take it serious. Amen? Number three and helping people in need. I'm telling you as a pastor, I have felt convicted so many times that I could have done this or that or helped this person. And I know you've got to feel that way too. So I don't want you to feel guilty like, oh, I'm just pathetic. I never help people the way I should. No, I just want you this year, as well as I do, this year to say, God, set an alarm in my heart that just goes off and doesn't stop ringing until I do that thing you want me to do. I mean, it's basically giving God permission to ring your bell a little bit. And it's funny because it, it happens in my life like that. Nancy and I were wanting to reach out to our neighbors. And over time, it's like Nancy has become the babysitter, you know. And it's like sometimes, you know, all those kids in the house take away a little bit from what I'm doing. And it's almost like I want to go to the guy and just be like, hey, why don't they come over to your house a little bit more, you know? Just tease, you know, because we love the kids. And he even says that, you know, like if they ever get to be too much, let me know. But I just hear that bell go off in my heart. And God goes, no, don't you say anything. It's your wife doing it anyway. 
You just, you just sit here and you just peck away at these keys and you just keep writing. Okay? What can you do for others? And then lastly, preach the gospel. We've had a hundred sermons on preaching, but this year, what can you do? For me, it's going out a little bit more here in front of the church. Just telling people in the community, hey, here I am. For you, maybe just talking to your coworker. Let me give you guys a great practical way. Ish has a fellowship group that does all types of things just for fellowshipping. You could bring them there. You could do the marriage one with them. You could do uh, with Ricky and Rachel the marriage one. You could go to the Super Bowl party. The youth, they have events for you. Even if that's a baby step, invite somebody. Let us not come back next week or to one of our events without at least saying, I invited somebody. Amen? It's like they say you'll miss a hundred of the shots you don't take. Okay? You don't take a hundred shots. How many are you going to make? None, because you didn't take any of the hundred. But if you take a hundred shots, you're going to probably at least hit one, right? Let's at least invite somebody this week to the next event. Say that in, my, in, my, in your heart to God. Say, God, use me to touch others for you. Amen. Altar workers, would you come please? Let's pray. Father, help us to love God and love people this year. Help us, Lord. Just take 30 seconds in private prayer right now to think of those things. We're going to end with worship today. I'm not going to hold you any longer. At the end of this prayer, we're going to dismiss. But those who want to come to pray can come and pray. If you want to repent or get your heart right or if you want to uh, just lay some burdens down and let God encourage you, he will. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit this year, speaking in other tongues, we'll pray with you. But before we do that, right now, just 30 seconds, you and God, how are you going to love him and how are you going to love others? Come on, speak to us, Jesus. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Only you can do it, God. Only you can tell me to stop being at a computer and start walking my prayer time. Only you could make our house a, a babysitting house for the neighborhood. Only you, God, could bring over my neighbor yesterday. There's opportunities in this house for your people to do it, God. But they need to hear you speak. They need to hear your words. Starting with the high school students here, help them to make time for devotions, even when they're at school. Help them to obey their parents this year. Help them to uh, reach out to others, to not be so selfish. Because our teenagers have a battle. Help them to win it this year. I pray for our single adults, that God, you'll help them use that time this year for others and for their relationship with you as they're pursuing their education and career. God, in their singleness, let them fall in love with you deeper and deeper. I pray for our married couples without children, God, they're starting off their lives together. God, I pray that they see devotional time and prayer time and date time all as a way to worship you and love you and that they'll together reach out and touch others. They'll use their resources and, and they'll use their abilities to help others. God, I pray for single parents, God, that you'll use them to raise their children, to be both of their parents, uh, both of the parents that the children need, that you'll supernaturally give them wisdom. Lord, I pray for married couples with children that, Lord, you'll use them on the job, wherever they go, with their family, in and out of their house, on the way to school, to soccer practice, football, to the recitals, that, God, you'll bless them. They'll love you and others more than they ever have, and their children will see it in their lives. Not a busyness, but a serving God lifestyle. We don't just want to be busy. We want to serve you. 
Can you hold somebody's hand right now? Just look at them and say, I'm going to pray for you before I go. Come on, just look at them and say, I'm going to pray for you. Now let's just pray for our neighbors. God, I pray you bless our neighbors' hands to the left and to the right. That you use them, you protect them, and you bless them. And even on bad days, even when things go wrong, they will love you anyhow. You will make it well with their soul. Let this church be a beacon of light to this city, loving you and loving others. In Jesus' name. And can everybody say amen one more time? Can you bless him today? Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. We love you. If you want to pray, come on up. Otherwise, we'll see you at life groups. Love God and love people. Come on, let's turn up the band for the after party. If you want to sing with us, you can. Come get prayer. Yes, Lord. Oh, yes, God, you're the God of this city. Hallelujah. Bless your people as they're going today, God. Those that need prayer, come on up. Those who are praying, let God bless you today. For some of us who just want to worship, come on, this is a worship song dedicated to transformation. Let's declare that God belongs in our city. God's going to transform our city because there's nobody like Him. Woo!